You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. That email was a UPS invoice that was sent to them. And that suspicious uh, invoice, actually, it looks completely normal. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast. This is the show where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and the criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Aviv Graffi from Votero. He's going to be describing a multi-stage attack that uses a zero-day exploit to deliver a Trojan, so be sure you stick around for that. All right, Joe, uh, we've got some follow-up here to start today's show with. Let me go and uh, read this here. Uh, We had a gentleman named Rodney wrote in, and he said, On the podcast today, you were discussing the reuse of phone numbers and how someone inadvertently took over someone else's WhatsApp account. Joe mentioned that he felt there was some technology that WhatsApp was not utilizing that could avoid this from happening on reused numbers. I would say that I agree. Based on my recent experience with changing iPhones, Work recently issued me a new upgraded iPhone. I restored the new phone from a backup of my old phone and moved the existing SIM card to my new phone. Even with all of that, Facebook Messenger deregistered my phone number as well as some other products such as Duo knew I had a different phone. I had to go back and re-register my number with those applications. Therefore, I believe Joe is correct in saying that there is something they could do to keep this issue from recurring on phone numbers that are recycled. Just wanted to let you know, I believe... Joe was right. Oh, my. I think we should get stickers printed up that say Joe was right. (laughs) This is interesting. I use Duo occasionally. Duo is the video chat application for Android. Facebook Hmm. Messenger is my main communication channel with a lot of my family members. I've often said that I would get rid of Facebook tomorrow if I didn't have all this stuff going on with my family that I keep on Facebook Messenger. In fact, I've uninstalled Facebook, the actual app for my phone, and only have the Messenger app just to stay in Hmm. contact. But it's interesting that Facebook and Duo both recognize that it's a new phone, probably because they, when he signed in to these apps, they downloaded some kind of key that was not backed up. And when you come on with a new phone with the same phone number, that key is not present. And Bob's your uncle, there's your solution, right? Yeah. But WhatsApp Mm -hmm. apparently is not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Or at least allowing the user the ability to disable it, which they should not do. Well, thanks to our listener, Rodney, for writing in, despite uh, everything I'm going to have to endure for the next few weeks uh, now that someone has told Joe that he was right about something. But uh, we do appreciate everybody writing in and sending us things. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, Let's uh, get started with our stories this week. Mine uh, comes from uh, an online site called Security Affairs, uh, and it's titled New Schleyer Mac Malware Spreads Via Poison Search Engine Results. I have to say, uh, (laughs) the, the name of this reminds me of like a, an old 70s impersonation of Sammy Davis, man. It's the Slayer <laughs> Mac Malware. Uh. This is from uh, researchers at the security firm Intego. They've seen a new variant of this malware that's targeting Mac folks. And, and let me just start that, uh, you know, as a Mac user, I, I'd say that I'm certainly guilty, as many of us are, of smugly reminding anyone who will listen about how comparatively safe we are over on planet Mac. Yes. That, uh, you know, the, the fewer, <laughs> fewer bits of malware target us. And this is a good reminder that uh, we're not in the clear. There are some types of 
of malware that target us. This one is interesting because what it does is it convinces the user that they need to update their Flash player. Side note, uh, Adobe is end of lifing Flash Player at the end of this year, so you will not be able, it will be unsupported, you will not be able to download it. They're, they basically right. said, uh, you know, this is it for, for that. It's about um, time but in this case, uh, it is, it is, yeah, the, the yeah. time has come. They convince you to download Flash Player and a disk image mounts and it displays instructions on how to install it. From a user point of view, you don't know that this isn't a legit copy of the Flash installer. But when you launch the installer, uh, it opens a fake installer that's actually a bash shell script. Uh, Joe, can you give me a quick explanation what that is? Yeah, absolutely, Dave. A Bash shell script in the Mac world, you've got to remember that Mac is based on uh, a distribution of BSD called FreeBSD. Years ago, they forked it off of uh, FreeBSD and then put all their own stuff on it. And, and a lot of companies do this, like PlayStation is built on FreeBSD as well. And the license lets you do this. But because that means it's essentially a variant of Linux, because the BSD lineage goes all the way back to Linux, you can run these scripts on there, which are just essentially an order of commands. So if you think of it in the Windows world, it's the same thing as a .bat file. Hmm. And in Linux, they're also called bash shell scripts as well because the shell is ported over to Linux. It works exactly the same. Basically, yeah. all it is is it's just an automated list of commands that the computer runs. Uh, and if you're logged in as an administrator, it runs them as an administrator. Well, so what this script does is it installs uh, this Mac app into a hidden temporary folder. Then it launches the app. It quits the terminal. Meanwhile, it is actually downloading and executing a legitimate Flash Player installer from Adobe. Really? So when you're, yeah, so while you're on your Mac, this Flash Player installer is basically serving as misdirection. Huh. Right? It's, it's in the foreground and in the background, this script is running to install the malware. That's interesting. Yeah. Now, the malware, it seems as though that this is mostly going to install adware, which it's another interesting part of this story. It's been my experience and the folks I've checked with who know about malware on the Mac side, it seems as though the vast majority of the stuff going on on the Mac side is adware. We talk about my dad fairly often here, but uh, yep. he fell victim to this one time. He had uh, adware on his Mac. It was hard to remove. It, it did not want to let go. It didn't want to <laughs> remove its hooks from his system when I discovered that it was on there. Yeah, I imagine they could be difficult to get rid of sometimes. Well, and another detail about this is that evidently they're they're finding victims by poisoning search results. If you're searching for the name of a particular YouTube video or they've got many search terms that they've put in there and you could accidentally find yourself being hooked by this fake Flash Player installer. Yeah. Yeah, that's scary. Yeah, they're using search engines like Google, Bing, Yahoo, DuckDuckGo, StartPage, and Ecosia. They're reaching far and wide with this which is impressive. Yeah. And these ads are not free. They're cheap, but they're not free. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so they must be getting a return on that investment. Right. Yeah, so I would say, you know, recommendations here is just, if anything, anything having to do with Flash Player at this point, uh, move on. Don't, yeah, move on. Don't, HTML5 don't does a lot of what Flash did, and we're, we're pretty much, I mean, to the point where Adobe even recognizes it's no longer a necessary product. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't add any value. It's gone. It's time to stop using Flash. But don't worry. Once Flash is gone, 
these guys will come up with another thing that you need to update and (laughs) right right all right that is my story this week joe what do you have for us my story this week comes from naked security and it is called we'll put a link in the show notes it's called the anatomy of a survey scam how innocent questions (laughs) can rip you off now dave we spend a lot of time on this show talking about various ways that people get hooked you know obviously we spend a lot of time about phishing but these surveys you know early on in my internet usage I kind of have a special dark place in my soul for these things because Hmm. I used to say, oh, wow, look, I can get get some kind of benefit from this. And very quickly, I realized this was just a scam. And they were almost always scams. And this is from Paul Ducklin. And he is talking about one of these survey scams that he examined. Now, normally, a survey will offer you something like uh, $5 off your next purchase, right? Or some free product of modest value when you order next. But scammers, he says, have much bigger goals. So watch out for the catch. There's always some kind of catch. And the survey that he's working on here, this fake survey, was from Bunnings Warehouse, which is essentially like a Home Depot in Australia. It starts off as an email, and it has a unique code and and might have your name in it, I guess, but uh, that's blacked out here. But it says you're going to get up to a 95% discount, (laughs) which is great. And then when you start the survey, sure enough, you're going to a fake website that looks exactly like the Bunnings Warehouse website. And there's even some Bunnings employees with their hands raised up and they're talking about, you're going to get up to a 95% discount. And uh, you start the survey, you click start. Then they start asking you questions, right? Like, uh, are you male or female? How many times do you shop at a grocery store? Which of the following would you expect to improve customer service the most? And depending on how you answer the question will actually dictate whether or not you get further questions. But hmm. at, at one point in time, there is a message where it says that the, the, the server is compiling the survey results, right? And we've talked about this before, where you see something on a website where it says computing, computing, right? And there's a little progress bar that's going across. <laughs> right, right. There is absolutely nothing on the internet that takes that much time to compute or to find. If you go to Google and you type in whatever you're going to search for, those results come back instantaneously. And computers are very good at figuring stuff out really, really fast. So this is just something to get you to sit around and wait and build suspense. And then one of my favorite parts of this is that at the bottom of the screen, while it's doing that, it says there are 38 visitors on this page, but only six rewards left, right? So now you're thinking, oh, I hope I get one of these rewards. There's like a one in six chance, a little bit worse than a one in six chance of me getting a reward. And then at the very end of this, it tells you you're one step away from getting your iPhone 11 Pro for one US dollar, which is interesting that an Australian company would be selling an iPhone 11 Pro for one US dollar instead of one Australian dollar, right? But they are, they're selling it for one US dollar. And then if you come back, they came back again and they were giving away a Samsung Galaxy S20 for $1 as well. They even let you pick your color of the device, despite the fact there's only one of them left, right? So you can pick <laughs> the black, the pink, or the, or, the, or the blue, but they only have one. So how, how do they do it? Well, of course, Naked Security is saying, this is, of course, a scam. Nobody <laughs> gives away a $1,000 phone for free for taking a survey. It just doesn't happen. And when you get down to the bottom of it, you find out what they're after, right? They want your first name, your last name, your address, your, your phone number, and then they want your credit card number, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really, it's really just a way to get some, get some information that's marketable and then steal your credit card information. That's, that's wow. the end game here for these guys. And of course, 
Naked Security has some advice here. Watch out for obvious telltales of fakery. Uh, genuine surveys do exist. I say don't even take the genuine surveys. That lets people build uh, profiles of you. Don't do that. Just avoid surveys altogether. Bait and switch tricks like this one here where you say you're going to get 95% off, then all of a sudden you're going to get a free cell phone. That, that should set off red bells. And there is no free iPhone, Android, tablet, or laptop. It's just a scam. Interesting that it comes through with a with a phishing email first and then takes you to a website that is a clone, you know, or, or a well-designed website. I'm looking at the at the actual website pictures they have here, and there, it really does look like it could be believable as a Bunnings Warehouse website. I've been to the actual Bunnings Warehouse site, and it looks very similar to this. So it's hmm. uh, it's a good scam. It's a well-set-up scam, but it is just that, just a scam. Yeah, and I suppose part of why it works is they spend so much time stringing you along and building that anticipation and building and building and building that when when the time comes for them to make the ask to uh, provide your credit card information, you feel like you've got something invested here and, and you may get a great reward from it. Well, it's a good story. Of course, we'll have links to all of the stories in the show notes. But now it's time to move on to our catch of the day. Our catch of the day this week comes from someone who goes by the name Laura. They sent this to us. And I tell you what, Joe, I will play the part of the scammer. You can play the part of uh, the person who they're trying to hit up here, who I suppose is Laura. Right. Uh, let's see. In terms of uh, voices this week, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll let you choose, Joe. What, what shall I do this week? Old man, Dave. All right. Here we go. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right. You? Same here. Hope you're staying safe over there. Thank you. Same to you. I always stay safe. I have good news to share with you. Oh, yeah? Have you heard about the good news about the WCAB? No. I got $150,000 U.S. cash from the Federal Government of Workers' Compensation Appeals Board. That's the WCAB. They are helping the old, that's me, the young, the disabled, retired, also me, citizens, workers, and I also saw your name there as well, that you are also entitled to the money. Did you get the money too? I bet I have to pay money to get it though, huh? Just the delivery money, that's all. You will get it delivered to you within three to four hours. What kind of delivery am I paying for? A postage stamp? No, just delivery and certificate too. Can you clarify? Just text the agents and follow their instructions. Uh, I'm not a big fan of money, but texting seems like an odd way to contact a legitimate government agency, don't you think? Yes, I know, but you're free to call them. How do I know I can trust you? Oh, don't worry. Just text the agent. Everything will be good. I promise you. That doesn't answer my question. They will just send you a info to fill. Just follow their instruction and keep me updated. I'll bet they'll ask for my credit card info. No, not at all. What will they ask for? Just know that you will pay for delivery money. That's all. And then there's like three pictures that look like they may be from an FBI seizure site or something. Just bundles <laughs> bundles of cash. Stacks all $100 of cash. bills. Yes. I need you to tell me all the steps you went through before I do it. I can't trust that this is real otherwise. They just said I should fill some info and I get my money delivered to me after I send all the info. What info? Just your address info, etc. Address and what else? Well, full name, 
Full home address, date of birth, married, single, form of payment, nationality, occupation, Facebook email, password, worth of income, do your own house, rent, or credit report, and name of next of kin. That's what they sent me. Why would they need my Facebook password? Seems like they'd try to break in, steal my photos, then set up an Instagram to try to scam people I barely know from high school. Just give them your email. They only need all those information for security reasons. Why is this so much more complicated than getting the stimulus checks? Those didn't require all this information. Yes, I just inform you if you have interest. But I don't understand. But saw your name on the list of people entitled to get the money when I got mine. You can get the money also. It's not a loan and you don't have to pay it back. Yeah, but why is the process different from the process of getting a stimulus check? I didn't have to text anyone or give them my Facebook password. Try this is not how you think is complicated. I promise you. That doesn't answer my question. If you can't fill the info, just contact the agent and send them your address. Only they will deliver it to your doorstep. The government is so busy dealing with the pandemic right now, but they're going to hand deliver me money? The FedEx will deliver it to you. That seems unsafe to send wads of cash through the mail. What if it gets stolen or lost? No, nothing will do your money. It's well safe from the FBI. Wait, is the FBI working for FedEx now? Yes, they're helping them with the WCAB money. Should I share the agent contact with you now? No, I have more questions. What's that? I'm so mad that the FBI is working with FedEx. Don't you think it's a waste of taxpayer money? Not that they are working with them. They like that much, but they will just escort them to the winner's doorstep so your money can be delivered without any errors. Wait, am I a winner? I thought everyone was getting this money. Is the government doing raffles now? No, it's for those who qualify for the money. But why'd you call them winners then? Because they're entitled for the money. Why am I entitled to the money anyway? Why are you asking so much question? I am tired. Because I need to have all the information before I go through with this. It's so weird that they had you tell me about the money rather than contacting me themselves. They can't text you by themselves. They only contact you through friends, though. Why can't they contact me some other way? I haven't even heard about this on the news. (sighs) Let me know. If you don't have interest, okay, because I'm tired. All my friends have got their own money without stressing me at all. Yeah, I'll bet you didn't. Scamming people isn't cool. You probably should have realized I was on to your little scam like 30 messages ago. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you, Laura. Yeah, thank you, Laura. That was a fun one. That's Uh, right. Obviously, what's going on here? An advanced uh, fee scam? An advanced fee scam, exactly. The, the, it's the same as the Nigerian print scam, except now they're saying it's from the, from the U.S. government. And all they're going to do is, uh, is ask you for money. If you give them money, all they're going to do is ask you for more money and continue to promise your money. It is yeah. a, uh, another sunk cost type scam where people sadly fall for this. Don't fall for it. It is never real. The government does not give out wads of cash as payments, uh, they will, if they're going to give out large amounts of money, they're going to send it to you in the form of a check or deposit it directly into the bank account that you have with uh, registered with the IRS. Yeah. They do not do this ever. All right. Well, our thanks to uh, Laura for sending that in. That is our catch of the day. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Aviv Graffi. He's from an organization called Votiro. Uh, And he joins us to describe a multi-stage attack that's using a zero-day exploit to deliver a Trojan. Here's my conversation with Aviv Graffi. 
we found a suspicious email on one of our partners' environment that looks weird. It flagged some alert in, in environment, and we took a look into that. And we actually, we found it wasn't a one-off. And uh, as long as we started to investigate more, we found this to be a recurring pattern that we found to be very, very exciting. Well, let's dig into it together. Can you take us through it uh, step by step? What did you discover? First, there was a report from one of our partners and users saying that he got a suspicious email that bypassed all the detection system. And that email was uh, a UPS invoice that was sent to them. And that suspicious uh, invoice, actually, it looks completely normal. In fact, he couldn't say that this was a malicious one. And when he first sent that uh, to us, we said, yeah, actually, this looks uh, genuine at first sight. Once we got that first sample of that suspicious email, we started to look into that. And we found that uh, after analyzing the exact payload, that it was an invoice uh, with uh, attached Excel spreadsheet. That Excel spreadsheet is something that we never saw before because it actually contained uh, a hidden payload, hidden macro for mm-hmm. any detection system out there that's trying to analyze that. In fact, when you're running the standard tools in the industry, you get an error saying there's nothing there. And that actually brought our interest even more. Well, how were they going about that? How are they able to hide something from these tools that were looking for it? So, in fact, they were uh, reutilizing uh, a technique that was introduced in the industry last year in Black Hat event, Black Hat Asia, called Evil Clippy. And Evil Clippy, and credit to the author that made that, you can find that online, that's a technique that actually leveraged the fact that macros that can be hidden in a certain way, that Excel and Word in Office can still open those, but any detection system are confused because of the malformed structure of those uh, macros. I suppose there are people out there with a history with Clippy who would say that all Clippies are evil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) uh, So someone falls for this. Um, They're convinced by the misdirection. The bad guys convince them to to click on things, thinking that they're going to be paying an invoice or they've, they've piqued their curiosity. This script goes into action. And then what happens? So what we found, actually, that was interesting, that uh, the hacker or the group of hackers that are behind this, they tried two specific ways to try to lure the user to open that document. So one, it enabled an auto-execution macro, I mean, a macro that auto-execute and download the actual malware from the internet. Uh, but hmm. the second way, if the uh, user won't be enabling those macros, there, there was a button there that actually do the same thing. So if the user suspects and say, you know what, I'm not going to enable that macro, there is a button say, click here to pay your invoice. So once you click that, same thing happens. So there are two ways uh, to get the same result, which is uh, the dropper or the actual payload being downloaded from the internet. And so that dropper, that payload gets loaded on their machine. And then what is that out to do? So uh, when we analyzed uh, that uh, URL, that server that was hosted in in one of the servers in Russia, when we got to that, it was not very active. We found that domain that uh, we posted that online. And that was a Drydex banking Trojan that if our audience is uh, familiar with Drydex, uh, it aimed to steal credentials and do uh, such transactions. Was there a ransomware component here as well? So from our analysis, we didn't find any ransomware. The main goal was to steal banking credentials and uh, actually using that for frauds or identity thefts. We haven't seen evidence for 
ransomware, but of course, uh, this can still happen using the same techniques. So it might be an option for other incidents with that specific hackers. Did you have any sense for how targeted these folks were, how specific the people they were going after were? So from what we've seen, it wasn't very specific. They did uh, use the novel technique, that novel techniques, uh, I should say, but it wasn't very specific. Yeah, what's interesting that we found when we got that uh, first sample, we found that uh, none of the antiviruses and traditional detection out there on virus total could detect any any malicious component of that document. So when they sent when they were sending that first batch, nothing could stop them at that point. So that was mm-hmm. actually the most interesting part. And has that been updated since then? Where do we stand today with it? So yes, so uh, that specific sample is being flagged by uh, most of the detection system out there, but we actually we know that it took more than two days, actually two and a half days for that specific sample to be flagged. And after that, we saw uh, more samples on using the same technique that, again, couldn't be found by the detection systems out there because if the audience is familiar with the virus total, virus total is the database for all those detection systems or detection techniques to uh, grab signatures uh, from each other. So once one AV can find such sample, the rest are following. So it took at least two and a half days for the first one to find it in the UPS sample and more than half a day on the FedEx sample to be found by the detection system out there. Well, let's explore that a little bit. I mean, these these folks were using uh, different lures. They they had a variety of things they were sending out to people. Yes, that's right. So we found three different samples. One was a UPS invoice that looked very genuine. Actually, when our team looked at that, they were struggling to understand whether this is legitimate one or not. The from address was perfectly forged. Uh, in fact, also when we looked at the email headers, we found that it went through one uh, of, uh, potentially, we thought that we, it went from one of the uh, UPS servers. So the hackers hmm. put a lot of efforts in uh, mimicking a real genuine, close to genuine experience. And uh, this one of the masterpieces I saw recently, to be honest. So they, they sent out things from UPS, from FedEx, and from DHL right. as well, trying to, uh, I guess, cast a wide net. That's right. And uh, we saw those techniques actually very interesting. As I mentioned, the emails would look exactly as the emails that you will get from those vendors. There was no typos, uh, nothing. The addresses were exactly the same. So um, I mean, we're all familiar with those emails or suspicious or emails that sometimes we get and they not look exactly as it should be. So we said, okay, we can flag that. Maybe the human eye can, de- can detect that, but not for these kind of batches and not for these kind of hackers that actually did a great job, to be honest. Well, what are your recommendations then for folks who are looking to protect themselves against this sort of thing? Uh, what do you suggest? So I would say that detection is getting much harder even sometimes uh, impossible detection on time. So I would try to look for two things. One is technologies that are more advanced and doing more proactive approaches, like uh, filtering, trying to select only the good stuff out of those emails. Uh, I would try to focus on remediation, detection and remediation solutions like we're all familiar with. And of course, awareness is always a good thing, uh, although we know that it just complement uh, what the technology should provide as protection. 
Yeah, I mean, it strikes me as, as really being a challenging situation here where you might not know that you have a bad situation until you click that button. Yes, uh, that's right. That's why some technologies today in the market, they're coping with that by doing a proactive approach. And for example, instead of trying to detect the bad parts in a document, they know what are the good parts and delivering only the good parts. And uh, such technologies exist and evolving. And this is one part of the equation, as I mentioned, uh, for a solution for that. All right, Joe, what do you think? That is an interesting story, Dave. And there's a number of uh, things I want to talk about here. First, the first contact phishing email looks very real. It's from an address that is perfectly formed that comes from UPS. There are no typos. It's visually perfect. And somehow they actually managed to route this message through a UPS server. Yeah, that's remarkable. Which, yeah, it is. And then the Excel spreadsheet that it comes with includes a well-obfuscated malicious macro that was obfuscated using something called Evil Clippy. And you made the observation that all Clippy is evil, right? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. Clippy was a little paperclip that would come up and try to help you with your writing when uh, I think it was Office 95 that came out, right? It was, yeah, it, it was a yeah. miserable experience. But uh, this, was, <laughs> this was released at, uh, I think, Black Hat Asia last year or something. Uh, mm. I think Aviv said that. But it, what's, what it does is it does something called code obfuscation. And what code obfuscation is, is it's a field of study, actually. You know, we have some, some professors who do some work with code obfuscation at Hopkins. And what it is, it's a way to change the code so it still performs the task it needs to perform. But if you analyze the code, you can't really tell what it's doing. And hmm. there are different ways of doing this. One of them is cryptologically, so with cryptography. Uh, and that's kind of what we study at, uh, or what our professors study at Hopkins. I don't study it. I, I'm not involved in that. And the other one is just by uh, rearranging the code. And, and there are other products that actually do this for your code commercially. So it makes it difficult for it to be reverse engineered. Well, that's another useful tool that is being used maliciously here. And it's actually creating a essentially a zero day because this malicious code passed right through every single detection device that was looking at it. Nothing picked wow. it up. And then when you get the Excel spreadsheet opened up, even if you disable macros, you can still run it, run the malicious code by clicking the link. So it is a multi-stage attack. So the step one is you send the phishing email. Step two is the user is hooked by the phishing email and then they run the malicious dropper. So that's what the Excel spreadsheet macro is. It's just a malicious dropper. This could actually deploy any kind of malware it wanted. A, a dropper is something that uh, is a class of malware that, that goes out to the web and pulls down the malware that the attacker actually wants to install. It's a commodity kind of thing, but this is actually more than a commodity because it's actually well-crafted. Uh, the dropper then calls out to the website to get the request, to get the software, and then the malicious software does its job. And presumably somewhere along here is some profit that the uh, malicious actor is going to make because a sizable investment has been made in this campaign. I'm not sure what they're, if what they're going after, maybe just credit card details. Maybe they're actually making fraudulent credit card transactions. What's most concerning to me about this is that it took a couple of days for all the protection software to run through the, the process of validating this and then pushing out the signatures so that this kind of attack would not victimize their customers. So that means that while that was happening, this attack for two days could run unchecked in the wild. 
All right. Well, we certainly want to thank Aviv Graffi. Uh, he's from Votero. We want to thank him for taking the time to join us and share that valuable information. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. A quick program note, uh, if you're a listener of this show, we bet that you will enjoy our new CSO Perspectives podcast that's hosted by the CyberWire's Rick Howard. He is our chief analyst. He's got a recent episode where they explore the dark web, and if you're a listener to this show, I think you'll enjoy that as well. You can check that out on our website, thecyberwire.com. It's called CSO Perspectives. Our thanks to the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our coordinating producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. 